Before we get started, I want to say thank you to all of those who have donated to this channel. If you don't know, you can go to faithandfailures.com, sign up for our newsletter. You can get weekly updates on our weekly blogs, new episodes that come out, and discounts and new items that show up in our merch store. Also, if you're a part of Facebook, we also have a Facebook group. It is called Faith and Failures, just like the podcast, where over 200 people are talking about real topics, their daily struggles, questions about God, real things that we struggle with that we don't always get the chance to talk about in church. So if you get a chance, go check it out. All right, let's get started. Hey, what's up, Jerry? Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day to have this discussion. I appreciate it. So, um... I have a few questions for you, questions that I myself can't answer uh, because I don't, I will never be able to understand. So we know right now that in our, in the United States, the culture we live in, I think um, as speaking from a white man, the white community has grown numb to issues and they have been, um, for lack of a better term, pushed under the rug. And I feel like now we're tripping over things we've just been ignoring. And I've been guilty of sticking my head in the sand and not recognizing issues that are there under, underneath. And now they're coming to the surface. And so uh, one of my main questions to you is what is going on right now um, or what is going on right now that is affecting our country? Um, what is your take on all that? Like what's, especially speaking from a Christian perspective. So with with this entire situation, you know, once everything began surfacing, you know, back in 2012 with Trayvon Martin and then the repeated issues coming up, I it prompted me to go back and actually start studying history to get a better feel for what is actually going on. Because as a Christian, you still have an obligation to live in this world and you still have an obligation to love, but it gets really confusing as to which direction you should go when you don't know which direction you came from. Right. So for me, I think it's America is dealing with a mental health crisis. You know, when some child or someone deals with something so traumatic in their past and they never deal with it, at some point it comes up. And I think that's where America is which also affects what goes on in the church. You know, um, I heard an awesome sermon from a uh, minister and he talked about, you know, what goes on in the world also affects the church, you know, between Mm -hmm. the Jews and Gentiles, how they were not accepted. So what ended up happening is it became an issue within the church, you know, which customs are we going to follow? Paul having to rebuke uh, Peter for acting different when the Jews were around versus the Gentiles. So, it became very relevant for me to study the history because it's going to be an issue in the church. And, you know, Satan, in my opinion, is really good at what he does. Oh, yeah. So what, what the, you spoke about the history. What Can you touch on what the history you're talking about and kind of um, explore that a little bit and unpack it? Yeah. So I, I think it's very interesting because a lot of times you hear a certain response to an issue and it was kind of interesting because until I started studying the history of what actually took place in this nation, you know, certain responses didn't make sense. You know, for instance, when you hear about any black issues, the number one response is what about black on black crime? 
you know, there's a lot of, you know, responses that come up that sound genuine from the person presenting them. But when you study history, it's, you know, these thoughts were passed on. So it, they're not original thoughts, but you don't know that if you don't know your history. Um, for instance, my wife's grandmother who passed away, I believe was born in 1931. Mm. You know, this is just to add some context to it. Mm-hmm. She was born in 1931, which means that her grandma was probably born in 1860 or, you know, 1850, which means that whatever her grandma would have experienced, she would have shared with my wife's grandmother because it's not that long ago. Right. If that makes sense. And I think that's one of the first things that we have to realize is everything that happened is not that long ago. So one of the books that I'm reading currently is called The War Before the War. And it talks about, you know, the impact of slavery on the Civil War and how they got to where they got to. Mm -hmm. And it's also very interesting. It talks a lot about people who were Christians who were stuck trying to figure out what it is that they should do. They were torn between what they knew was right and also obeying the law. Yeah. So when you when you get into history, um, I, I thought it was very interesting. One of the things that it said is that the North, they were very much against slavery. They they saw it as, you know, against God's nature, but they still hated black people. And, you know, why is that? How can you fight for someone's freedom but still hate them at the same time? Right. And the issue is because of what the South presented, they presented blacks as beasts and people without morals and barely above chimpanzees. So now you fear those people, even though you want to free those people. So then you think about today, why do so many people fear black people? And it's, you know, it's that origin of creating a monster back then that has just evolved over time. So when you hear those responses or you hear about the biases, you know, that's where it stems from. It's like thinking about the boogeyman under your bed as a kid. Like you've never seen the boogeyman but you've heard stories. And so you have this, this negative narrative that isn't even a thing. And it just feeds a fire that really shouldn't even be there in the first place. Yeah. And, and there's nothing you can do about it because the only thing that you have to contend with is your imagination. And the only way that you can fight against that imagination is to actually do what Christ says, which is, you know, to, love each other as yourself, which, you know, would be fellowship, you know, and I think that's where within the church itself that we have to be careful. You know, sometimes we want to avoid the discussion, but it's a, it's a very much needed discussion. And like I said earlier, it's like over time, because it's like I, as a white person, I know that slavery was wrong. Okay. And I know that they're being uh, raised around multicultural, like 90% of my friends were not white like me. I engulfed myself and I loved other cultures. I loved people being different and surrounding myself with that. But there are, even to this day, even though slavery has not, you know, Juneteenth was an amazing time for the black culture, but yet still today people are affected and looked on differently because of the color of their skin. Like Martin Luther King said, we need to be judged on the character and not the skin color. How has how what can we do as as the church, be, coming from two Christian men? Like, what can we do proactively 
in this time right now that we're in with the marching and the, the important things to make a positive movement in the right direction, like what can we do in the church to, to be that change that we're wanting to see that we know from biblical context, we know like this is Jesus came to die for everyone. There was no skin attached to it. Jews, Gentiles, everyone, um, has sinned and is undeserving of Christ. We're all in the same boat. What can we do as the church to uh, be mindful of tearing down the walls that we built up between races? I I think that, you know, as good as Satan is at dividing us, God in his infinite wisdom makes it so easy to unite us, unite one another if we were to follow his laws. What I mean is, you know, the Bible says, you know, grieve with those who grieve. So there are a bunch of people who are grieving. And imagine if, you know, as Christians, we put our egos aside and we go and we grieve with those people and we listen. Sometimes I think the issue is we approach this issue as I'm going to win this discussion. I'm going to win this difference of opinion Mm -hmm. when in fact there is no trophy for winning. But if we were to put our egos aside and to say, you know, how are you feeling? what's going on and just listen, you know, whether or not you agree with one thing, but when someone shares how they feel, how they feel is real to them. So I think if we were to just listen, to talk and to fellowship, it'd make it so much easier to bring souls to Christ because then they can, then they can experience his love. But for whatever reason in this world, we have this idea of we have to win or we have to prove that we are right. And I think that's where we go wrong. Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like sometimes it's, it's the, the selfish voices and the ones that don't want to listen that are usually being the loudest. And, and it's very hard to listen sometimes because there's so much negativity. Like Twitter drives me crazy. Like if you go down a Twitter feed, somebody will post something, something they're experiencing, something they're going through, whatever. And you, and these are the reason I say they're Christian people is because they're quoting scripture or they're, you know, saying all these things and all they're trying to do is sound like they are right or to give some revelation from God instead of just listening or encouraging or saying, hey, I'm praying for you. They, they have to have some sort of right answer. And it irritates me so much because it, it, it builds up more walls when we try to just have to be right. Like and it, it, it does. It, it really does. I, I totally agree with that. Like we need to come with a posture of humility compassion and most of all love because love conquers all that's scripture and there's a reason that it was put in there is because that is what will change our nation uh what we're reflections of of our past and it will make a brighter future where we can be unified under god and through christ and that's the point of christ's coming is to save everyone and so like do you have a story like where you've experienced racism yourself for me it you know, my story is different and unique um, because I was talking to my wife about this. You know, my, my mother is from Haiti. I was born in a single home. My father passed when I was young. So, you know, my mother raised us. But one of the advantages that I had, and I still don't know how, is I, when I spoke as a child, I was very proper. My English was very proper and I spoke very well. And looking back, I noticed that gave me more opportunities because, you know, I didn't have the slang or, you know, my, you know, my conversation, I was very conversational. So when I would speak to people, I I noticed people would, 
kind of take a liking to me, but it was for that fact. But growing up, it never made sense to me because I wasn't the most talented. You know, I wasn't the most whatever. I wasn't that. But for whatever reason, I was given those opportunities. And it it also didn't make sense because um, even amongst my peers, they will say things such as, um, you know, you talk white or (laughs) you talk proper. And, And it I never understood why, you know, people would say that to me. But outside of that, it would, I I do remember there was this one time um, I was in, I think it was physics in high school. Was it, I think intro to physics or something. And it was just me. I was sitting there. Actually, no, maybe it wasn't physics. I don't remember what class it was, but I I remember sitting there. It was me and a couple of other students. And the school I went to, I, I was normally the only black guy in my class. And I remember there was a group of us sitting there and the teacher walked up to me. This was like very early like when the school just started, she was like, do you need help with anything? And, you know, she bent down and she was trying to be caring. Mm-hmm. And I, in my head, I was like, well, why are you asking me? There are other people sitting next to me, but you know, you're just talking to me. Like, do I look stupid? You know? Yeah. And I remember wanting to say that. And I was just like, no, I'm fine. But it, it just, I remember just feeling very weird about that. Like there are two other people here, but you're coming to me directly to have a conversation instead of posing it as a general statement. And you know, and then there's just the other things, you know, you're being followed in the store and things like that. So, yeah. Do you do you feel that sometimes um, I've heard the term white guilt? I'm sure you've heard that, too. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do you feel that sometimes people can be over the top and it makes things worse because they're trying to, like, be that way? You know what I mean? Like she was to you. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't help. I, I think what helps is to be genuinely to genuinely care. You know, that that's what would help me if she would have walked up and been like, you need help with anything. And then went to the next person, you need help with anything. And she treated me just like everyone else. Right. That would have been fine. But in that moment, it was just like, I'm not the charity case, you know. I'm- yeah. Um. So. What do you do right now in your church? Are you are you serving in your church in any capacity? Um, for the mainly what I do is teach and then serve in whatever roles, you know, that I can participate in, whether, you know, it's security or any part of worship, you know, praying, anything such as that. So that's primarily what I do. So um, in in the church house, like kind of coming back to being proactive in the church, like right now, what we want to be compassionate, but like coming from a white person, like how does a white person reach out to other people of color to, to be able to minister to them? Like, because sometimes there is a, uh, maybe a cultural barrier you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. how can you give us some insight on as a a black american what do you want to see the actions of of the white community towards this whole situation i i think what would help is you know just like with me i think we all have to go back and revisit the untold history because i think what that does is now you understand why you are where you are at because it's when you're coming to say, you know, how can I help? You know, that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. But it's different to have a background and understanding being prepared to help versus someone having to explain it to you. Right. So I, I think it's that and, ju- and just having open and honest conversations, being willing to listen and being able to ask questions and to understand that, you know, these experiences are going to vary vastly from minds or maybe they may be the same, but it's bringing something to help. And I think the only way to do that is one, 
to pray about it and two to actually research you know if you don't because if you don't know what happened in the past you don't understand how you got to where you got to right so kind of know who you're ministering to which is kind of the ministry 101 If you're going to pray for somebody, if you're going to do worship somewhere, if you're going to go do outreach of any kind, you need to know where you're going. You need to know who you're speaking to. You need to know who you're trying to reach. So, yeah, studying the history. Now, can you cite anything of like um, you mentioned a book earlier? Is there any websites you can cite that I can put on mine uh, down in the show notes that uh, people can go and and really find some because there's so much junk out there? You know what I mean? It's just it's getting ridiculous. I don't necessarily have a list. I can tell you some of the books that I have read and, you know, it, and it kind of rewrites the narrative. Um, one of the books that I read is, uh, the assassination of Fred Hampton. And, you know, he was a black Panther, a young black Panther. And cause I had always heard growing up that, you know, the black Panthers were good for the community. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I read in the textbooks, they were always presented as a terrorist organization, so when I go back and I read this book, you realize I, what I learned is that um, they were providing free meals for the children in the community and they were doing a lot of positive things. But at that time, you know, due to uh, the laws and the, the people of that time, they painted them as terrorists in order to go in and get rid of those systems. So it's learning actually what actually happened. You know, um, I'm enjoying this book now uh, called The... Uh, War before the war, you know, the tensions that led up to the Civil War. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, all of the great names that you have heard, um, Booker T. Washington. Um, It goes on. It's it's one of those things where it's not really where do you start. It's just that you start. You know, I could go on forever, but it's it's actually just starting. Yeah, I think it's this whole movement has really awakened me uh, to have honest conversations like asking blunt conversations to really get the conversation moving you cuz i mean honestly like sometimes i feel like i'm so ignorant and i'm scared to ask questions because i don't want anybody to take what i'm saying wrong you know what i mean and sometimes you can sounding ignorant can get you in trouble if you don't really know what you're talking about but the only way to figure out what you're talking or to figure out the other side is to ask questions so what's what's your take on white privilege so I was in a um, Bible study group uh, a couple of weeks ago between it was uh, black and white. And we were discussing this issue and, and I can't remember his name. Um, it's a white guy. And he said, I think that uh, the term white privilege is wrong. And I think that's why people don't agree with it. And what he was saying is he he doesn't think there's white privilege. He just think that black people are disadvantaged, whereas white people get a fair shake at life. You know, they get a fair opportunity, the benefit of the doubt. Whereas when you're black, you don't get that opportunity. So when black people are saying white privilege, what they're really saying is you get a fair opportunity to succeed. Whereas I am disadvantaged. And I think that's a more accurate term for white privilege, because I don't, nobody's saying that, you know, if you're white, you're you know, you're given a million dollars to start your life and to, you know, live your best. Like, that's not what, that's not the actual intent. What we're saying is, is that you get the benefit of the doubt and you're going to get the opportunity to at least put the work in. And I think that's more so, that's more of an accurate term in my opinion. Yeah. Like if I get pulled over, it's not going to be, all right, step out of the car, sir. Mm -hmm. It's, but if you're a black American, it's not, 
hundred percent of the time, but it's, it's more of a, they're on the guard because it's a black person. I mean, that's sadly, that's the way that it is. So what is your take on the defund the police and, um, all the, the stir on that? Like, what do you think about that? So for me, I, I think I'm in a, a unique situation with that in terms of just how I feel, because I've had um, good experiences and bad experiences with the cop, with cops. Um, I played for I played basketball for Powell, the police athletic league and the love and the care that those officers showed me. You know, I will never forget it. And I, you know, I understand that being working as an officer, you it's really an individual aspect. But I also when I was 13, um, was getting my hair cut completely changed my life um they actually did a drug bust on the house i was getting my haircut at oh wow you know i was 13 at the time and this is what kind of you know this is why i'm aware of you know when people say it's really hard to react normally when someone points a gun at you because i remember i could hear everyone in the house screaming you know little kids everyone was screaming yeah and you know the police are yelling, get on the ground, get on the ground. Everyone's on the ground and I couldn't move. I sat in the chair. I did not move, you know, because when they came in the house, there wasn't anything that said police. It wasn't anything identifiable to me. You know, I didn't do, I didn't do drugs. It was just all black. You know, they pulled up in these white vans and there was dogs and guns. And I just remember the cops saying, get on the ground, but I couldn't move. You know, I was terrified, Yeah. you know, and it, it just made me think of the amount of people you know, of when that happens, of why they react the way that they react. And I think if they're saying defund the police in order to provide resources to help people live better lives, I cannot disagree with that. Because sometimes the issues that people have is what leads to their behavior. You know, it's kind of like, would you would you rob somebody to feed your family? You know, those kind of moral questions, even though they're moral questions for some people, they're very real. Yeah. You know, once like uh, they talk about, you know, once you get arrested, you stay in the system. Well, once you're out of jail, you still have an obligation to provide for your family. So what do you do if you don't have the resources, if you don't have the ability to um, make that happen? So when I hear defund the police, it's more so if you're going to help the community move forward, Theoretically, that should help police officers' jobs, in my opinion. So what's the uh, – I've heard statistics on uh, police brutality, and obviously the things that have happened, it should be handled to the fullest extent of the law. But what's your take on all that? All, all the – I mean there's so many things going on right now. Uh, what's your – being a black American, do you feel that threat when you're around police officers? If I don't know them growing up, I remember, you know, going to play basketball, you know, my mother, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about this. She wouldn't ever say, you know, watch out for this person or watch out for that person. Her message to me was, you know, don't do anything to get in trouble by the police. And this is, you know, 12 all the way up to 18. That was my mother's message to me. And I think sometimes that I think because of the way this incident happened with George Floyd, many people think that this issue is new. But if you go back and listen to the comedy specials of, you know, the nineties, the eighties, the sixties, the theme was always there. Tell the police to stop beating us. You know, if you go back and watch, um, Samson and son, um, I think that's the name of the show. Um, there are so many times where he was saying, you know, 
tell the police to stop beating us. So this has always been a current theme within our culture. So it's it's nothing new. So when we see pr- police brutality, it's a reawakening of everything that we've seen growing up from all of our shows because it's not new to us. The difference is now there's social media right. and uh, it can't be hidden. But, uh, you know, just watching some of these older shows such as uh, Good Times, those themes were always there of tell the police to stop beating us, you know? No, I have not looked up these stats myself, but supposedly there, there's a guy on YouTube, uh, his name is Officer Tatum, mm-hmm. and uh, he said some stats on that the white, the unarmed white Americans, there's been more kills from police brutality than there has been black Americans. Do you, Have you heard that too? I've heard something like that, something along those lines. Um, and I think what most people say is we're not focused on the total number. We're focused on the rate. And right. I, and I think that's where, um, I think that's where the discussion goes. Now, mind you, I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me and I, and I yeah, haven't done enough research. Know. Yeah. I haven't done enough research to be able to speak on this and make these profound statements. But I think what people are getting to is that, you know, as a black person, if we don't, if we are not the majority of the population, why are our rates so much higher, you know? And, you know, then you get into over-policing communities and this and that. And, you know, I know that this is a, um, a Christian discussion, but if we don't handle what's going on in the world, then it creeps into the church. Absolutely. And we should be the beacon of light that is helping those who can't help themselves or in bad spots. Cause me personally, um, when you said, you know, if you have a record, let's say you get arrested. I've been arrested twice. I got a felony on my record. Okay. That's going to be almost impossible for me to get a job. And so what do I do when I get out of jail? I'm going to go sell the drugs again. I'm going to go doing the things I got to do to provide or to feed my habit, whatever it may be, which was in my case, that's what it was. So I understand that not, especially now that was me being white. Okay. So I can't even imagine this is what I'm saying. I, I, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because I can't even imagine if not only I have these things on my record and then I'm being judged by the color of my skin too. It's like a double-edged sword of, I just can't get out of the hole that I'm in. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that kind of ties back into the history, you know, what the, um, the movie that came out, the birth of a nation where they, you know, Black people were shown as these villains wanting to attack these innocent, beautiful white women. And, you know, they're the criminals, you know, we got to get them. And, you know, when you paint that image again, you know, when this system is happening or, you know, this constant arrest and different things like that, most people don't really pay attention because when it started, you know, back in, you know, uh, the 1800s, you know, blacks were beasts. And then when you get to 1920 or whenever that movie came out, now blacks are criminals. And it's just that progressive, that, um, that idea that just keeps progressing through time so that when things come up, people think that, you know, they're having genuine reactions to what's going on, but it's actually, you're reacting based on what happened in the past, you know, but you don't know that if you haven't taken time to study history. Right. It's just echoes of what's already happened. And that's what we need to, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Like that, that we have to look back and say, okay, what are we still echoing that needs to be extinguished? Like what patterns are we thinking as white people? What, what am I looking at? What am I listening to? The stereotypes, all these things that, that are painting a picture 
uh, of a false narrative, you know, with every, every stereotype, what, no matter what color it is, there's some truth, but that's not the majority. That's a minority. And then, well, I'll, I'll give you an idea. Um, I remember when I was in college, I was my freshman year. I didn't go to church. And then my, my sophomore year, I was like, I need to go to church. I need, you know, my growing up, my mother kept me in church. Mm-hmm. So I need to find a church. And then I found one and then I looked up, you know, the congregation and I saw that the minister was white. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can go there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it because it, it's that real. And then I was like, I don't know. So I kept searching. And then finally I talked to some people. Then I was like, all right, I'll give it a, a chance. And then I went there and I've been at the same church for the last 13 years. Oh, wow. Faithfully. Um, very faithfully. My kids are there faithfully. But it's that same idea is, you know we can't act like what happens in the world doesn't affect what happens in the church. And if we can't be what God wants us to be, you know, because, you know, every Sunday morning we'll get up and we'll talk about sin. We'll talk about all types of sin, stealing, lying, gossiping. We we will address those sins head on. But sometimes in the church, we shy away from them. Like if we talk about it, the boogeyman is going to jump out the closet. But if you're going to address sin, you have to address it from the pulpit and you have to address it as a congregation. That way we are not missing out on a chance to grieve with those who grieve so that we can love them when the healing begins as Christ would. So you think that, I mean, obviously there was some sort of uh, feeling that if you went to this church, you would be judged because of the color of your skin. Or that I, I just wouldn't fit in. They wouldn't understand me. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't like me, you know, at that time, I I don't even remember what it was, but I do remember just seeing, you know, a white minister, like, you know, how am I going to go to this church? You know, but then when I get there, um, the beauty of this congregation is the congregation is so diverse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very diverse. But at that time I didn't know, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And, right. and that's why, you know, we're having this discussion because it needs to be had. It does. We need to understand that we're all people mm-hmm. and that uh, stereotypes on both sides, whether uh, you're white and you think a certain way about a different color or, or whatever you color you are and you think a certain way about another color. We need to be talking with each other instead of just backing away and having our thoughts um, towards different races. So let, let me ask you this. Um, I've seen this on Twitter a lot. Uh, so I, I'm curious about your uh, opinion and your take on it. Um, we, we all know right now the black lives matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I've seen several, 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 and they're majority, not all, but majority white people that then they comment and they tweet underneath and they start a thread about all lives matter. Like what, what's your take on that Com- coming from a, a black American? What do you think about that? I, to me, what I take away from that is this is a person who has a chance to grieve with that statement but instead they want to win to prove their point. Um, and that's why that's what makes it hard to be a Christian at times. When you have people who are hurt and you want to go in there with the Christian message, but you have so many Christians who are, you know, they're dumping on this feeling of how this person feels, whether or not you agree with it, that feeling is real to them. So when you do that and you try to, you know, say that, all lives matter. What you're essentially saying is even if you're hurt, you know, everybody else matters. You know, we still matter too. And that's, that's not the cause. You know, when, when people say black lives matters, and I'm pretty sure he knows what they're saying is, you know, our lives matter too. So it's, it's a hardened heart 
in my opinion, full of pride that won't take the time to listen to that statement because how much does it cost you to say, okay, let me hear your story. Let me see how I can help. Let me teach you Christ. Because, um, you know, just to think about it, you know, there's another movement of, you know, God was given to us by the white man. And that's why <laughs> it's, it's very important, you know, one, to learn your history. You can see, you know, how Christianity, Christianity was spread all throughout Africa, especially at that time. But two, that you don't pose a message of hate because now Satan can slip in there and say, you know what? <laughs> Christianity is a white man's religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's funny that the, uh, kind of the the picture has been painted and i said this and, and probably the podcast episode you listened to is probably the one about racism and stuff like that i, I think that's the one you listened to because you i think you quoted something from it but it was kind of like i think we should blow up people's theology of this false narrative that jesus is white that would that would be huge you know it's you know as a as a person who's you know like i said i've been as faithful as i could for the last 13 years when you realize who Christ was and what he went through, if you truly love Christ, it's like, who cares what color he is? Exactly. But when someone doesn't know Christ and they have these preconceived notions and then you come with that hate, then it's just like, yep, Jesus is another white man. Got to stay away from him. You know? Yeah. And see, people that are, are claiming to be believers are destroying the true message of Christ with their attitudes and with their know-it-all have to be right. Like you said, like the, it, it's irritating because they, they, if they read the Bible, they should know better. Yeah. But if you think about it, this is kind of like history repeating itself. You know, in the nineties, you know, when AIDS was a big e- epidemic, um, you know, there were so many Christians coming out. God hates gays. God, this, if you're gay, you're this, you're this, and you're that. Now you can't bring that message to anyone. You know, you can't bring that message to someone who would say that they're gay because Christians have designed God hates you around it, you know? Yep. And if this method, this trend continues of those professing Christ going this way, it's going to be the same thing. I don't want to hear that. You know, it's it's like we we have to pay attention to what has happened so that we can be ready to respond to what will happen. And we we have to understand that, okay, first of all, when I see photos or videos of people holding up picket signs that say, God hates fags, that angers me so much. Because that is false. He loves people. That's why he sent his son. Do they not think that homosexuality was during the Bible times? Yeah, and it, it, it's like, And that's why I say, you know, when it comes back even to this race issue, what is it that someone is actually trying to win? Like, what is the point of saying certain statements? What what is the point of saying God hates fags? It's just to make themselves feel better and more superior. That's all it is. What is the point of saying all lives matter? None of those things, you know, will share his kingdom, his love and his glory. But it's this idea that we have to win. And, you know, it's that that prideful heart that allows Satan to roam free yep. in this world. And that gives him so many strongholds and footholds in the doors of lives of people. And it, that kind of posture and attitude towards people who don't know any better, will they will never darken the doors of a church. They will never yeah. want to hear the message of Christ because why would I want a God that, that 
talks that thinks of me in that way. He doesn't really love me. They're lying. Uh, what's what's crazy to me though is you know there are some of us who will align with you know people who think like us. Like for instance, you know, let's say you know there's a person commenting "All Lives Matter" on someone's post who's putting out there, you know, what happened. And they're putting all lives matter when in fact they both may be followers of Christ and that may be their brother and sister of Christ and they're hating on them while agreeing with the world of people who don't love Christ. You know, there are a lot of people who love God and don't love God who hate the slogan Black Lives Matter. Yeah. But if you are going to comment and say to that person, all lives matter, that could very well be your spiritual brothers or sister in Christ who should be closer to you than those you have aligned yourself with. And I just, it's just interesting to me. And it takes, it completely eliminates that posture of compassion towards someone who is hurting. And it, you literally have a culture of people that are crying out. If you look past, which I said this in the other podcast uh, from last week, if you look past the riots and all the, all the crap, there's all sorts of, um, races doing that. But if you look past that, you can recognize and see it for what it is that there are people, there is a culture that is hurting, that has been hurt, and they're trying to make a difference so that we can go forward and, and be unified together. You have people that do stupid things no matter what happens. If it was a, a White Lives Matter march or whatever, you'd be having the same stuff. It doesn't matter that they're black, that it's a Black Lives Matter thing. It, it That's ignorant to even think that. Yep. And this, this is seriously like, it's a time we are, we are in such a weird time. We have the coronavirus, we have, um, the marching. This is the time for the church to shine like never before. This is the time for us to stand up with people who are hurting and extend out a hand of Christ and say, we, we hear you. We understand you. We, let me tell you about, about a God that really cares. Like this should be the time where we should be lifting and encouraging, not tearing down and just trying to be right. Yeah, but what ends up happening is um, because they're afraid to step on toes, they start, you know, preaching these very generic messages that are not specifically targeting the hearts of those who harbor those feelings. They, You know, you hear these generic messages, you hear, you know, this, you know, let's love one another, but we're not saying let's have these conversations. How can we have these conversations? Let's set up these groups. Let's talk about these things. Yeah. Let's figure out how to walk as Christ. Because if it was any other sin, that's what we would do. You know, we yeah. would come together as a church to figure it out. We've identified it. We're going to attack it. We have a plan. We'll come together. But in this issue, you know, I feel like a lot of people are shying away from it. Like if we don't talk about it, then it'll go away. And then we can go back to being normal when in fact it's not normal. And it never has been normal. And, you know, if anyone who's listening to this podcast, I implore you to go back to and listen to some of these comedy routines and these movies of people mentioning the same things happening back then that are happening now. Even back in the 1800s, those same things that are happening, those things that are happening back then are happening now. You know, it's not necessarily the, you know, the abduction and kidnapping people and bringing them to slavery, but those same ideas of hate and fear and those different, they're still the same because, you know, like any mental issue, if you don't address it, it's just going to keep popping up. Yep. And history will keep repeating itself and we'll be dealing with this in the next hundred years again. Yep. 
And it, there's there's no point in that. We're in a, in an age right now where we should be beyond these petty little things. We should be, as a nation, more mature than that. We should be, uh, as Christians, more mature than that. And um, we this is <laughs> it just aggravates me because I and it aggravates me uh, internally as well because I feel like this should have been something that I saw already, but I didn't see. I saw color. I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't see color because God created color. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see people as different or less than me. So I just, when other people would see that way, I would stick my head in the sand or turn away and not address the issue. So that makes me guilty. It, because it's a it's a very uncomfortable conversation. It is. But most people, especially those who are in the church, will welcome that conversation. You, It's one of those things to where if you follow God's plan, you rejoice when they rejoice, you grieve when they grieve, you fellowship with them, you love them, and you ask them those questions, you know, those genuine relationships will take care of that. But, you know, because if you think about it, you know, there are white churches and black churches for a reason, you know, it didn't just end up like that. Like, you know, black people like, huh, you know what, I think I'm going to go worship over there. And white people are like, I'm going to go worship over there. You know, if you go back to the past, it's because of what happened in the past. But because we don't want to deal with that, you know, we just act like it's just something that happened. Well, nothing just happens. It something precipitated it. So what can you say? Because I, I have uh, minister friends that are uh, ministers um, here locally in all black churches. And then I have uh, ministers that um, it's usually in the smaller churches, the bigger churches, they usually have a pretty good blend. But in the smaller churches, I see, especially, I guess, in the older generation, uh, which they may not even be listening to the podcast because they probably don't know what it is. But like, what can we do to better blend of cultures and of color? I, I think God laid it out. Let's let's remove the term racism and discrimination and let's put another sin in there. Let's let's put whatever sin you want in there. How would you attack that? You would attack it with love. You would attack it with grace and prayer. You would do all of those things that the Bible outlines. This is a sin that's no different than any other sin. It's just because it's so sensitive that it's woven with in the fabric of this nation that we tend to try to avoid it, which is the wrong way, but just treat it as sin. You know, when someone sins, you don't go in there and beat them down. You go in there with love. You lift them up. You restore them. You help them and you walk them down that path so that they can, you know, so that they can be what God would have them to be. It's no different. So what about the, now I I used to go to um, an all black church. There was me and I think one other couple, older couple that was, that was white. And it was, it was awesome. (laughs) Uh, It was, and I used, it wasn't uncomfortable for me because I was raised around um, everybody wasn't white. It was one of the guys that was white in my group of friends. So it was, it was very comfortable for me, but in other situations, other white people would not do that. They wouldn't darken the door of a black church. Like how, what can we do to help blend more like with, with the, cause I understand that you gravitate towards people who are more like you. Mm-hmm. So we go by what we see, we go by what we hear and we gravitate towards it. So I'm not saying that it's a problem, but I don't personally, I don't like when a church is just only one color. Yeah. I, I think, and my personal opinion is the leadership from one of the churches need to 
needs to reach out to the leadership of the other church and go out and do an activity, go volunteer in the community. I like that. You know, go serve the homeless, go do something of that nature to bring people together who wouldn't be together and don't do it once a year, you know, do it every other month to where people can become familiar with one another so that then they can, you know, Hey, I think I'm gonna go worship at this church because they're having this event and I want to attend and I feel comfortable there. But if you don't extend yourself in that way, nothing's going to happen. But I think that would be on the leadership of the church to, uh, to make those initiatives. I agree. I like that. Yeah. Growing that brother and sisterhood and, and actually getting to know one another and mixing up cultures, mixing up um, different parts of the city into um, a, a citywide serving the community. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I just think that this issue is no different from any other sin. And if we just use what God's word tells us to do, it will work. You know, we don't have to fear it. We have God's word. But when, you know, it's just like when we we're talking about, you know, homosexuals or gays, you know, we elevate certain sins to an extent and then we just react wrong. You know, there's no hierarchy of sins. You know, in my opinion, all sins are on this horizontal plane and they're even, you know, your gossip is just as wrong as this person's murder. You know, it God sees it all the same. So if we look at sin as it is, then, you know, God's word is it's living. It'll it'll take care of all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're guilty as Christians to um, section this sin's worse than this one. Oh, this one's not that bad because we'll we'll address homosexuality or pornography, but you have a gossip in the church and they run rampant. Yep. Or you have yep. a liar or a thief, and, and but we we say pornography's worse. We say homosexuality is worse, and it's it's people who who need Christ. That's the bottom line. Yes. And I, I think that, you know, just like in any church, you have a certain amount of people who will do um, the majority of the work or certain people won't do certain thing. And I think that's the, the microcosm of it, of, you know, people not being comfortable enough to step outside of themselves to do more. You know, we want to go to church and do the easiest thing possible mm-hmm. to sit in the pew, to sit in the chair and then go home. Just come and, and get served and not do any serving. Yeah. And I, and I think that's what the issue is coming to church with that mindset of to do the little bit, whereas we should be free in Christ. We should be looking forward to doing all of the things that God would have us to do. But, you know, that when we come to church with that mindset of bare minimum, it translates into how we then go about with other, other things. Yeah, but it's definitely... Um... The, the things that have crept into our church or the the accept, uh, the things that we accept instead of heading them off at the past and not letting them be a part of the Christian body, I think we're guilty of letting things, because we don't feel that it's as bad, we let things ride instead of addressing it head on, which also, once again, is um, a part of the the leadership in the church. that That should be under their regime of what they take care of, but uh, I, go ahead. I was gonna say. I also think that if we were to do it the way the Bible says to do it, it would be so much easier to have certain conversations. Yep. Because then we can say, you know, hey, you may be struggling with hate in your heart, but 
you know, God says for this reason, it's not right. It doesn't mean that we hate you. It's just, this is what God says to do. And this is what we're going to do. But if you don't have that relationship, if they don't know that you love them, there's no way they're going to receive whatever it is that you are saying without feeling like, you know what, you're judging me or I don't want to hear that. You know, we is built the building of those relationships will lead to having those conversations to present issues in a spirit of gentleness. Absolutely. And, and Jesus firsthand showed us that you can have serious conversation, a serious message from the word of God with a posture of love and it changes everything. Like people yeah. are accepting to love, love conquers all that is what we need now more than ever before is the church people to stand up, ministers to stand up, uh, lay people in the church to stand up and say, we have to love. That's that's the bottom line. We have yeah. to. We have to come from that position of love and that will change everything. Yeah. And I agree with you. And, you know, just, you know, to make it clear to the listeners, you know, when we're saying we have to love, it's not this Disney love where we stand there and wait for the violins to play and we feel good. <laughs> it's the actual going out and loving somebody, you yep. know, love is an action action. Yeah. You know, if you hear, Oh, you know, if a wife says you don't love me, what she's saying is you don't have any actions that demonstrate love. So love is the answer, but it's the, it's love with an action, not just love. Oh, I love you, you know, but I'll call you in four years when another issue pops up, you know, that's not love. Right. If you're just talking, it ain't going to solve anything. It's not going to change anything. You got to you got to put it into action. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely I, I agree with that. So but, you know, but th- those are my thoughts. And that's you know, that's how I feel. I don't think because this sin has been so long standing within this world, you know, I don't think it's going to be one or two conversations. This is going to be this is going to be a situation that's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort, but I don't think you're going to have to put in, you know, a million hours of work before you see any benefits. You'll, I think once you start working, you'll see the benefits right away. But the longer you go, the stronger those relationships will be. Absolutely. Well, man, that's all the questions I got. I'm so glad that we did this. I was excited and I, man, I'm glad we got, we finally got it set up and was able to do it. Yeah, I, me too, man. I appreciate it. So, you know, if you all um, have any time, listen to his podcast. His uh, podcast will be in my show notes. And Stephen, thank you for your time this evening. Yes, sir. Thank you.